Father, it is truly amazing how you love us. We cannot begin to express our gratitude and our thanksgiving. But we come today to offer our thanks. And open our lives to you and to worship you. And we pray that in this time together that you would truly speak into our hearts and our souls. That we would know the depths of your love for us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. So a word of greeting with others here in worship today.
There are a number of things in your bulletin today about uh, events for this week and, and upcoming events as well. I did want to just mention you may have you've had a chance to read the bulletin. You noticed in the missions moment that uh, uh, Kevin and Cindy Austin uh, have felt a, a call to uh, go back to the Czech Republic after being here for a while. And uh, we have uh, that going to mean a transition for them. And so uh, Pastor Kevin will be concluding his time on our staff uh, at the end of May, and uh, in, in the meantime, we have uh, freed him up to, because uh, they're obviously raising funds and support, and so we freed them up to uh, to do more of that and uh, kind of split his job in half, and uh, Pastor Paul Shea, who has been volunteering, is going to take on a number of those responsibilities as they divide up things, and uh, then the long term, we're in the process of working with that, but I know that Kevin and Cindy and Josiah would really appreciate uh, our prayers. You can see Kevin and Josiah are actually taking a trip to the Czech Republic in a couple of weeks, a uh, week or so, and uh, we'll be there uh, to, to do some work and some preliminary things. And uh, so we pray for them, for that, and also for uh, as they raise their support. And uh, we'll miss them here as a part of this congregation and certainly part of the staff. But we, at the same time, support them wholeheartedly as they uh, take this next step, uh, going back to where they once were uh, as, as the Lord has led them. We're going to ask uh, the ushers to come now and uh, assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Savior, I come, quiet my soul, remember, redemption's hill, where your blood was spilled, for my ransom, everything I once held dear, I come.
As we spend a few moments praying together, uh, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. And as we did last week, we're going to begin our prayer time with some time of silence. It's to center our thoughts, to focus our minds on Christ and uh, to listen to him as he speaks into our hearts. So if you'd like to use the altar rail, please come and join me now. Others, we have just sung. We pray that you would lead us to the cross. In this moment of silence, let us hear you speaking into each of our hearts about your love to us and your grace to us and any other word that you have for us. Father, we come today in gratitude for the cross. For all that it means that Jesus has come and died. We pray, Father, that you will give us a new vision, new eyes. Of what it means for Jesus to come to the cross. Father, we know that because of the cross, we can come and bring to you all of the burdens of our lives And we lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that you care and that you are at work. So this morning, we do just that. We bring our relationships. We lay them at the foot of the cross and ask for your grace to restore and to heal and to encourage and to bless. We bring our future We lay lay it at the cross. All of the unknown that's ahead of us, decisions that need to be made, uncertainties, fears, anxieties, all of it, Lord, we lay it at the foot of the cross and declare that we trust you for whatever is ahead of us. Father, we bring to you the Concerns of of our grief and our loss. We lay this at the cross. And ask for your comforting presence through Christ. And we bring to you the burdens of the physical struggles that we face. 
we lay at the foot of the cross the, the needs of, of those of our congregation and those connected to us. Rich Reynolds, Calvin and Laurel Buecher, Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty, Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today. And we pray for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we, we thank you for the ministries of this church. And we bring before you today all of the people who work with our little ones in the nursery. We thank you so much for the willingness to do this. And even at this very young age, we pray that your love through us might be implanted in their little hearts. That all of their lives, they would know how much you love them and that they would live their lives loving you. Father, we pray for the ministry of churches around us. And this morning we pray for the Belfast United Methodist Church. We bring before you all of the concerns of this congregation, all of the struggles and the burdens that they are feeling, as well as the desire to reach out to people in need. And we pray that you will bless them. Bless Pastor Russell as she leads them. And may this church have a, a clear sense of your grace upon them. And we think of the world beyond us. We pray especially today for... Kevin and Cindy and Josiah. Thank you for their willingness to respond to your promptings upon them. We pray that you will, you will help them as they raise support over the next few months and as they prepare themselves for this transition. As Kevin and Josiah make this trip, we pray that you will bless them and it will be a wonderful time and a time of confirmation about what they are sensing from you. Father, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters who face opposition and persecution. And today we think of, of the tensions that some in the church in China are facing. Lord, this, we pray for this pastor who has uh, taken a stand and is facing the consequences of that. We pray, Father, for courage and strength to be beacons of light and hope among people who may not know you. Father, we thank you for your grace upon us. We ask that you will help us to stay close to you as we sense you drawing us to yourself. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who goes to the cross for us and the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We have for a number of years uh, supported a group of uh, medical dental folks who have gone to Haiti and uh, we have the opportunity 
to hear just a little bit about their recent trip in January. Dr. Calvin Shear is going to share with us a little bit about, uh, what, about their trip and what they sense God doing for them. When I was a kid at the Christian Missionary Alliance Church in Orchard Park, our family always sat in the third pew from the front on that side. And as a kid, I looked up at the cathedral ceilings that we had with the pine planking, and uh, I could probably close my eyes and draw the whole thing. Um, This is a great ceiling that we have in this church. It's kind of fun to look at it. Now, I've sat in the balcony, and if you look, you can see how straight the lines are and how how nice it looks. Uh, Five years ago this summer, um, I built a garage, and people have degraded it on Facebook. They called it another word. They called it a barn, but it's really a garage. We used a uh, truss uh, support system for the roof. It was a great deal of fun putting it in. Uh, all those trusses on a two-foot center. Um, and when you look at it, everything's all lined up, and I, can, I stand outside of it now, and I can look and see those straight lines on the roof. The walls don't seem to be quite as straight as I'd like them, but the roof looks really nice. Um, we, we went to Massier, which is a country church out in the middle of the mountains in southern Haiti uh, this year. And um, in that church, which is close to these dimensions, perhaps a little bit longer, um, it would not be safe for me to be standing in this location. Because as you look at those trusses that are built on a four-foot center, the fourth truss from the front of the church hangs down a minimum of 12 inches. Um, it's been repaired at least three times and you can tell that even the repair job is completely rotted through um, and that truss is being held up by the roof. It's not holding the roof up. If we look at the outside walls, the outside of the far corner has probably that much concrete that has fallen off of it thanks to the earthquake of 2010. It's a church that's in need of some repair. The walls need repairs. The roof is not, not safe. And our, our crew, the men of the crew, slept under that roof. But they really should not sleep under there again. It's not safe. <clears throat> we had uh, 16 people who went with us on this uh, trip to, to Haiti, uh, to the village of Massier, and I would like to thank you for enabling us to, to be a part of that. And the people from Massier and Pastor Clairvaux, thank you very much. Um, while we were there, There were 484 people who were served in the medical clinic. There were 177 people who had eye consultations, 133 people who received eye glass or reading glasses. 
The dentists saw 573 people and extracted 1,050 teeth. And if you saw the teeth that they took out, you would just be stunned at, at how people would put up with that. And people put up with that for a month or three months or six months or perhaps 11 months or perhaps even a few were some teeth that maybe could have been pulled out last year but we just didn't have the manpower to do it. We did three surgeries, uh, minor surgeries, minor procedures, and something strange happened to me um, following one of those. At the end of our time in Massier, um, we met with the church elders and, we, and the pastor, and we said, you know, this roof, it's, it's horrible. Um, what do you... What are you doing about this roof? You've known about it for years. It's been, it's been, it was terrible 12 years ago when I first was there. And it's only gotten much worse to the point where now it's dangerous. They explored some options uh, about four years ago. They estimated that it might cost as much as $20,000 U.S. to repair it. And so... um, We asked them this year if they had looked at it again, and they said it might cost as much as $70,000 to repair it now because the roof needs to be replaced entirely. All the trusses need to be replaced. The steel needs to be replaced. The walls need to be repaired. Um, And so we asked them. We said, you know, it costs us a lot of money to come to Haiti. Should we stay home next year and... uh, And the monies that we would save by not spending them, the monies that we would recoup by continuing to work in our office in the United States for a year or for a week or two, could we send that money to them for the roof? And the elders said, well, we know that our roof is sick and our roof needs to be repaired, but our people are sick. Our people need to be repaired. We want you to come next year for our people. One of the procedures that I did on an elderly man, whom I'm guessing is about 75 years old, it's a procedure that I had done uh, three years ago on this gentleman. It's a rather personal procedure, uh, an embarrassing one that we won't go into the details about here in this setting. Uh, I did the procedure and was assisted by three women who were standing on watching this very personal, intimate procedure. It took about 20 minutes, and we were all chatting as we did, and chatting in English. Um, And when we got all done, uh, we put the Band-Aid on, the man stood up, and... Pardon me, this is hard. (laughs) He said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming year to year. Thank you for taking care of this. You will never know how much relief you've given me. You will never know how much this means to me. I thank you, and I pray for you, and I will pray for you every day. I ask that God will bless you. I ask that God will bless your family. I ask that God will bless your your church and your people who sent you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He went on and on. And so I say, thank you. 
thank you. You will never know what you did for that man. After the scripture, children may be dismissed for Children's Church, and please note that there isn't Junior Church this week. Our scripture is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We aren't trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing. You are the God who reconciles the wayward heart through Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We are ready. We are reconciled by
Any good leader will tell you, you always want to have a contingency plan. You know, whatever it is you're talking about. In fact, in, in a lot of, of budgets, there is a line item which is called contingency. I mean, we have one in our church budget. Because you just never know what might come up. And so you set aside some money just in case. There, we do this all the time. I mean, as parents, you, you, have, you have contingency plans about if, if this doesn't work out the way we think it, uh, it will, then we'll do this. I, I remember a few Sundays uh, throughout my time as a pastor when on Saturday I wasn't feeling so good. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to preach tomorrow. And so I call someone and they become my contingency plan. And they, I, I'm sure their prayer life increased greatly as mine would if I were in their shoes. But there's any, any wise leader will tell you, you need a plan B. I mean, it's how you survive because life never takes the turns exactly the way we want it to. The road always angles a little bit every so often. And you just can't always be sure. And so you always need, at least in the back of your mind, a plan B. And I think that's what amazes me so much when we come to this passage here in, in um, 2 Corinthians... And we see this other places too. But in this passage, Paul says, God has no plan B. When it comes to his message getting out to the world, when it comes to sharing the gospel of Christ to the rest of the world, there is one plan. It is the church. It is God's people. And there is no plan B. And so he begins here saying, I'm making this appeal to you. Share the gospel. Be my witnesses. You're my plan. And that's it. And so the question in my mind is, so what is it we're to do? What is God's plan for the church about sharing the message? And in this passage, he says, it's really about being agents of reconciliation. It's about building bridges and tearing down walls. It's about being people who, who help others understand who Jesus is. It's about leading people to the cross. It's about opening people's eyes to the truth of the gospel. Because we live in a world in which people are alienated from Christ, alienated from God, alienated from their creator. And unfortunately, through the history of the church, we have at times, been better at being agents of alienation than reconciliation. And so Paul says, look, folks, I, I want you to understand you are God's plan. You are who, you're, you're the reason, you're the means through which people are going to hear about Jesus and understand the cross and all that he's done for them. But that's going to mean you have to be agents of reconciliation. People who build bridges. And sometimes that's harder than it sounds. Because we all encounter people and situations and circumstances where, quite frankly, the easiest thing to do is to build a wall and to alienate people rather than to reconcile people and to build bridges. It's one of the things that I, I find so fascinating. I've been reading through the biography of Lilius Trotter. And uh, if, you've, if you've heard much, you know, the, uh, 
We have some folks here who have started the Lilius Trotter Center. And when they chose that name, I did not know who Lilius Trotter was. And then a few weeks ago, we had this seminar about Christians and, and Muslims, and it was an awesome experience. And they talked a bit about Lilius Trotter, and they had her biography there, one of her biographies. And so I bought that, and I've been reading it. In fact, I just finished it this week. And it's fascinating to me. One of the things about this story that it's, I mean, you can tell she's so far ahead of her time that this woman in the, in the latter part of the 19th century goes to Algeria to share the gospel with Muslims and she understands very quickly that you can't use the same methods there as were used in England. And what I find fascinating is that she makes this statement that evangelistic rallies and big meetings and things like that, she said, that's a European thing, and it doesn't work here. And what's fascinating is that her life was deeply impacted by the, the um, gatherings of Dwight Moody, big rallies, and by the Keswick Convention, where huge numbers of people got together to talk about holiness. And, and she talks in the early part of the book, it tells about her how her life was so deeply impacted by those things. And you know how it is. The things that affect us, we want other people to experience those too. And so one of our strategies often is, whatever was good for me is good for you. However God spoke to me, God's going to speak to you. But Lillian Trotter had enough understanding that it just doesn't work that way because her primary focus was not how can I tell them about my experience, but how can I make the gospel most appealing to them? How can I build bridges into their culture? How can I talk about Jesus in a way that they will grasp and understand and find reconciliation? I think it's, it's interesting that Paul here in the middle of this talks about how what it means to be a new creature in Christ, where the old is gone, the new has come. And one of the things he says in verse 15 is that you have a different focus. Instead of a self-focused life, people who are in Christ now have a Christ-focused life. And because we have a Christ-focused life, we also have a people-focused life. And when we look at people... Instead of thinking, how can I get them to think the way I do? Our thought process is, how can I open doors so they can see Jesus? How can I build bridges so that they can experience Jesus? What do I need to do so that to meet them where they are, so that they can then be led to the cross? And that's the ministry of reconciliation. It's always thinking about how will people hear this and understand this and grasp this as opposed to what makes me feel most comfortable. And Paul says here in verse 19 that one of the things that happens when Christ comes is that he does not count people's sins against them. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't take our sin seriously. In fact, I would say God takes our sin so seriously that Jesus goes to the cross. That's how seriously God takes our sins. But in Jesus going to the cross, one of the things that that happens when Christ dies for all people is that God no longer counts their sins against them. He no longer judges them. 
He no longer looks at them as people who are sinful, but rather people who need Christ. And there's not that kind of judgment because through the cross, Christ has opened the way for people to be set free. And as I read that, I thought to myself, I think one of the reasons we struggle with being agents of reconciliation is that we have a hard time not counting people's sins against them. We have a hard time not holding people's sins against them. Sometimes they are sins that people do against us that we have a hard time letting go of. And that becomes a a means of alienation for people instead of reconciliation. I suspect if we took a moment, maybe we should take a moment, to think about someone that has hurt us, done something against us, and we have a heart, we are having a difficult time letting that go. I can think of somebody 25, 30 years ago. And if I were to see them, I haven't seen them in about that much time. If I were to see them, I think I would still feel a sense of judgment against them. As much as I want to let that go, I have locked them in to being this kind of person. When the reality is, after all these years, they may be a completely different person. And they may see me and, and, and see me in a completely different light than they did before. But it's sometimes hard to let go of that. It's so natural to our nature to want to hang on to the sins that people commit against us. But until we begin to let those go, we will not be agents of reconciliation. They're going to be walls instead of bridges. And some of the things that, some of the sins that we count against people are not so much of what they've done to us, but what we feel like they've done to God, to the kingdom, to the church. I think this is one of the problems we have in our society as a church and how we relate to the culture. We have a tendency, I think, to view the culture as, as people who are just against us instead of looking at people and seeing them as hurt and broken and troubled and confused. I have a feeling that a lot of people who have a totally different perspective about things like morality and ethics and what it means to be, uh, to live in the right way in, in society, my experience has been most of the people that I come across who have different, those kinds of, of thoughts typically have been through some very difficult experiences. Or they have been led astray by, quite frankly, some of the behavior of people in the church. Or they have been taught false things about who God is. And one of the things that we do as people of reconciliation, of agents, as agents of reconciliation, is that we ask God to give us new eyes so that we see people not as the enemy, but as people who are lost and broken and hurting. And we do that because I think that's the way God sees us and the way God sees them. Which is why Jesus goes to the cross. And instead of God looking at people and holding their sins against them, he looks at people and says, I love you. You're lost. You're broken. 
come to the cross. And one of our roles, one of our main roles, is to help people see that and to be drawn to the cross. I think we can do that a couple of ways. In verse 11, Paul talks about the fear that we have of God that then leads us to make appeals to people. And there is something about being thoughtful about God judging our behavior. There, there is, it's not always bad to, to respond and to live out of a spirit of fear. And, it, and the fear here is probably more a sense of awe than terror. But, but this sense of feeling so in awe of God and who he is and what he's done that, that we, we feel uh, obligated to share the gospel with people. And sometimes we need that kind of push. But there is a, a deeper, I think, maybe better level of, of living that is not so much out of fear, but is out of love. In verse 15, Paul talks about how the love of Christ constrains him, is how one translation says, urges him, is how another says it. And we all know the difference between doing something out of fear and doing something out of love. Now, when I was you know, in, in high school, I was a decent student, but, you know, not a great student, primarily because I just didn't work at it. You know, I, I got by. It was good enough. And when I went to college, that's pretty much how it was then, too. You know, you do the minimum you have to do to get by. So if I was assigned a three to five page paper, I guarantee you it was three pages. Actually, it was probably two pages and a couple of lines on the third page. And, and if, if we're supposed to read 500 uh, pages of collateral reading, it was 500 pages. It was not 501. It was 500. And I don't care if I was in the middle of a sentence. If 500 came, you're done. You stop. Right? I mean, you do the minimal you have to do. That, that's, that's, the way, that's the way I existed. You know, I studied for tests, but I only studied primarily because I didn't want to get a bad grade. I studied because I knew that there was this pressure to, to, get, to get at least a decent passing grade. But it was all obligation. It was all fear, to be honest. And then a couple of things happened as I entered my junior year. One is I... I finally responded to God's call about ministry. And the second thing was a new professor came to campus who taught Bible and Christian ministry courses. And there was just something about the way he taught that turned a light on for me. And my last two years, I became a completely different student. I was, I I discovered not only, I discovered where the library was, first of all, on campus. And that's what that building is that I keep walking by. But I would spend a lot of time in the library and often, not because I was preparing for a test or an exam, but because I was curious about things we were talking about. And I wanted to know more about it. And I wanted to learn more about it. And I I began to, to study because I wanted to learn, not just to pass a test. And I began to fall in love with learning. And I think there is something in that about the way we represent Christ and what it means to be agents of reconciliation in this world. That yes, sometimes it's obligation, but but the best kind of witness is one that comes from love. We've all been in a department store and you can tell the difference 
between a salesperson who is there because it's a job and they're thinking maybe the boss is watching them and a salesperson who loves what they're doing. When you ask them a question, you not just get an answer. You get help. And, and there is something about that kind of witness. That's what it means to be agents of reconciliation. It's that we love people and we see them the way Christ sees them. In verse 16, he talks about, I no longer regard, we no longer regard people the way we used to from a human point of view. And that word regard, it, it really means, it's, it's a form of one of the words that means to know. But it has an even different sense of to perceive. It's how we see people. And Paul says, we don't see people from a human point of view anymore. Now we see them, we perceive them, we look at them from a Christ's point of view, from the view of the cross. We begin to see them the way Christ sees them, with eyes of compassion and grace and love and mercy. And there is this yearning in our heart to want people to experience Christ as we've experienced Christ. And people can tell the difference. If, we are, if, we're, if we're speaking to them about Jesus because we have to or because we love them, because they're important to us, because we care for them, because we have the eyes of Jesus who went to the cross. As we come to this table this morning, this is a table of grace and a table that that brings us face to face with the reality of the cross. Paul says a couple of times in this passage that Christ dies for all people. And we tend to interpret that as Christ dies for all of the people who are out there. And that is true. But if we really want to to be agents of reconciliation for people out there we have to first come to grips with the truth that when Christ dies for all people, that means he dies for us. Because you and I are here and you and I are agents of reconciliation for one reason, because Christ died for us. We're not worthy. We're not better than anyone else. We've just seen the light, our circumstances, influences on our lives, the various ways in which God has has tapped into our existence. We've seen Christ and our lives have been changed. And as we come to this table this morning, I want us to come giving thanks to God that Christ died for us, but at the same time asking God to give us the eyes of Jesus to see people around us. And maybe there are people who, who just need, who have been with Christ and, and need to a, a resurgence of their relationship with Christ. Maybe it's people who've never known Christ. But to ask God to give us the privilege and the joy and the blessing of being agents of reconciliation. As we prepare to come to this table this morning, we're going to take just a moment of silence. And I want all of us to do two things. Give thanks to God. 
and ask God to give us the eyes of Jesus. And maybe even to bring to our minds a person or persons to whom we can be agents of reconciliation. Holy Father, we come today and give you thanks for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for what his coming has meant for us and for the privilege of being messengers, ambassadors, agents of reconciliation for others. We pray that you will pour out your blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. May it be food for our souls and may it be a means of opening our eyes that we might see ourselves and others the way you see us. That we might be agents of reconciliation in a world that desperately needs to know you. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, as you're released by Rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you'd like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we do have a tray of cups and bread. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as uh, your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. And if, you would, if you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion through us in church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire to, to know Christ and, and to see as Christ sees. And come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
God would welcome me into this mystery. Say, take this bread, take this wine, now the simple may divine for any to receive. By your mercy we come to your table. By your grace you are making us faithful. Lord, we remember you and remembrance leads us to worship and as we worship you our worship leads to communion we respond to your invitation we remember
benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.